0: In the Finley Toyota Studio. It's Colefield and Company.
1: Company takeover on a Tuesday afternoon. Hope you are having a fantastic day. That's the kind of positivity you don't get when Dave Colefield's around, huh? Adam Candy, Adam Hill, Ari at our Finley Toyota Studios. I got a great show for you this afternoon. Plenty of talk about the single biggest football game. Ever to be played in Las Vegas coming up this weekend, Sunday night football at Allegiant Stadium between the Raiders and the Chargers. Talk to Gil Manzano from down in Southern California about the Chargers, former NFL beat writer here in Las Vegas as well. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus joins us in about 40 minutes to talk over not only what's going on with the Raiders and the Chargers, but what's happening elsewhere throughout the NFL. VGK against Nashville tonight at T-Mobile. Let's get to what's trending. It's
0: trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at
1: 877-700-NOVA. Adam Hill is a busy man, and that is not breaking news to anyone who listens to this show regularly. But today we have... We've stretched the limits of Adam Hill's bandwidth and capacity. How are you holding up,
2: man? Uh, I'm good. I did I would say Hmm. I, I take a lot of flights, you know that, right? Every um, now and then you're on a plane. Yeah. Sure. I'm going to rank yesterday's travel, and we could get into this at some point in the show when, when we're when we have some time, but I'm going to rank yesterday's flight as the wildest. Six-hour travel journey of my life. Whoa, 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 whoa! Now, now we're talking about a
1: guy who essentially was living up in Northern California with the Raiders yeah. for an entire season, and obviously has plenty of miles and and points. All right, that's a good tease. I like yeah. that. That's quality radio. That's quality radio, Adam Hill. We're not giving the people that entire story right Our, now. he's putting it up on the tease board too. Yeah, he's going yeah. right to the tease oh, board. Oh, right oh uh, look, that's you know what that's because ari is a professional <laughs> sure. and i would expect no less from our man ari um, he's not gonna have to tease the biggest news of the day though uh, which somehow is not adam hill's flight but it is related to the raiders because with this game coming up this week and you're in against the chargers that is all we're talking about except for the head coaching situation because apparently When Jim Harbaugh's agent on January 4th wants to make a little news, uh, we have to deal with reports of the fact that Jim Harbaugh might be ready to go back to the NFL, and Adam, where does he want to go? According to Bruce Feldman in The Athletic, he's very interested in the Raiders' job. He has a friendship with Mark Davis. He began his coaching career with the Raiders. Jim Harbaugh to the Raiders. Should Rich Pisaccio start
2: packing up his boxes right now? Uh, no, he should be focusing on winning a game this week. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he needs to be distracted by packing. Uh, but, you know, to the, to, I guess to play out the metaphor, yeah, I, I think I, I think it's going to be very difficult for him to get this job. I mean, I, I don't even know if making the playoffs would do it. I think if they win a game in the playoffs, maybe that, that starts to change things. Um, I, I think it's only fair to at least consider Rich Bisacci, even though when, when he took the job, I didn't think there was any chance he would be considered. I think it's only fair for a season to go the way that this season has gone and to, for everything that this team has endured to potentially make the playoffs would be an unbelievable accomplishment. And I think it speaks a lot about how impressive Rich Bisacci is as a man, uh, maybe not necessarily as a coach, but as a man. I think it's, um, it's just you know a validation of everything that everybody around him has ever thought of him. Uh, as a leader and as a guy. Uh, But I I don't know that he's the answer long-term. And I think we've just been informed, I think, a bit by the Las Vegas Aces situation, where, you know, Bill Embiid's been incredibly successful. Uh, Still wasn't the guy. And it seems like, I mean, I don't think this is an exact, you know, comparison, but it seems like what they told him was, you're coming back unless we hire Becky Hammond. (laughs) Like, unless we can make a big splash. Could Mark Davis do the same thing? I don't think that's crazy. If he says, hey, listen, Rich, we'll keep you around. Unless I hire Jim Harbaugh. That's possible.
1: Oh, Mark Davis has a type. Uh, there yeah. is no doubt about that. Uh, because Jack Del Rio was roughly 12 months removed from a 12-win season at a playoff berth when he was shown the door in favor of another guy that got Mark all starry-eyed. With John Gruden and Becky Hammond, for much better reasons than John Gruden, also seems to have captured Mark Davis's attention. And so would it be plausible and believable that Jim Harbaugh, even though the long-term track record at Michigan isn't all that fantastic, coming off his hottest moment, going to the college football playoff, winning the Big Ten title, beating Ohio State, would be right in Mark Davis's vision right now? Absolutely it would. And, and absolutely
2: it and it wouldn't be the first time I mean Jim Harbaugh and and the Raiders have flirted a little bit in the past as well and Jim Harbaugh was here you know was here with the organization for a while he's friends with Davis he knows Davis I think it makes sense this report today does kind have of, it feels like a personal attack almost of for two months in every interview that I've been asked who's coaching the Raiders next year I say Jim Harbaugh And now all of a sudden we're going to put this out. Now, mine wasn't based on any reporting or sourcing. It was just my feeling of who they wanted to go after. Um, But in this case, like, yeah, it seems like it's getting more and more uh, traction. Now, I have no idea if Jim Harbaugh is going to be the coach. I don't know if they're going to be hiring a coach. I don't know if Rich Passaccia makes this run and he's the coach. Who knows what happens in the offseason. But my thought has been from the beginning of this process that Jim Harbaugh will be offered the job at some point. And that's all. I think that's all we can kind of, you know, gather. Of does he want it? We don't know. Maybe he goes to the Bears instead. Maybe he doesn't actually want to go to the NFL. Maybe this is renegotiating at Michigan. Maybe all these things are possible. But I've always felt from the beginning of this process that Jim Harbaugh would be offered the job with the Raiders at some point. Jim Harbaugh will not have
1: the opportunity to coach the Cleveland Browns or the Pittsburgh Steelers. Both those teams appear pretty set. Kevin Stefanski and Mike Tomlin as they squared off last night in I mean let's be honest objectively one of the worst football games to occur in this entire NFL season Um, bigger story coming out of last night Baker Mayfield is going to have shoulder surgery or suddenly everybody loves Ben Roethlisberger
2: I mean that was pretty that was pretty amazing uh, to watch but I mean you get it right it's not everyone necessarily it's everyone at Pittsburgh um, he's been a beloved figure there for a long time. I, I think it made sense last night when they said, you know, no player because of, you know, the Steelers era, the Steelers franchise has been very successful and very popular for a long time. Uh, but this era, the Heinz Field era, you should call it, has been almost entirely synonymous uh, with Ben Roethlisberger. So I, I think it it you know, is a very fitting tribute, a, a you know, a, a going out moment and, you know, somewhat fitting for them that they're also still in the playoff hunt, still you know, it's a long shot, but they have a chance. Um, going to finish with a non-losing record yet again, as they always do. Uh, all those things. I, I thought it was a good moment for him in the city and somebody who, yeah, has been accused of and has been, you know, discussed in some really awful situations. But, I don't know, seems to have rebounded not only his image, but his career and and, you know, become a beloved figure. Uh, In Pittsburgh, I guess, you know, it was cool. I I think that you should still keep in mind some of the things that have been discussed about him and alleged about him in the past when you celebrate his career. But I I don't know that that means he doesn't deserve that moment for the city. I'm not naive
1: to the idea that ESPN, the rights holder, was not about to give us a both sides moment with Ben Roethlisberger (laughs) last night, right? Like I've, you know, I've been around the block enough to know that when you pay as much as ESPN does to broadcast the NFL, you're not there to say, let's remember that Ben Roethlisberger was twice accused of rape uh, once the prosecutor declined to go forward because of uh, feeling that he couldn't nail the case down, and once Ben Roethlisberger paid out a settlement to end it out of court. So did I expect the ESPN broadcast team and Roger Goodell and Aaron Rodgers on the Manning cast to be discussing it last night? No, I didn't. But they did reach a point last night where it was so slobbering and so over the top about Ben and his kids, the family man. If we're going to take that angle, if we're going to go into the personal, look at Ben Roethlisberger leaving the field with his kids, look at his wife waiting for him in the tunnel, then I think we got to back it off just a little bit in terms of the -the over-the-top celebration of... The life of Ben Roethlisberger, The football player, the guy who won multiple Super Bowls. Yeah, I get it. That's what you're there to talk about. <laughs> but when we turn this into the whole, let's let Ben have his moments, that's where it gets
2: a little sketchy for me. Yeah, I, I I agree, but it it is a really it's a really complicated issue to discuss because there is a difference, obviously, a huge difference between retirement and death. Like we get that. Uh, but we dealt with this with Kobe too, right? Where it was ninety nine point nine 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 percent positive upon his death, and and I think there was a, a conflicting part of you that was like, ah, uh, there is this huge thing laying out there. Like, how much do you discuss it in that moment, um, or or when someone dies? Are is it supposed to be just a reflection of the positives of their life when somebody retires? It's again, it's a different situation, but. Is it supposed to be just the positives of their life? I, I don't know. I don't know the right way to do that. I know how I do it. I know that last night when, you know, I was watching the end of the game, a large part of my thought was on the allegations against Ben. And nobody was mentioning him. Nobody was talking about him. But as you watch it and you watch the entire city celebrate and and cheer and, you know, clap for him that one last time where they get him out the, on the field and they, you know, get the interception so that he can take a snap and take a knee, to end the game instead of you know the brown the you know the defense stopping the browns on a certain play like that you know that was fitting for a lot of people to say oh he gets to take that one last snap but as he was taking it i i was thinking wow a lot of people are cheering for this person that's been accused of some awful things um wow. but i don't i don't know like i'm not saying that's the right way i'm not saying it's the wrong way i don't know i don't know what the proper thing is i think everybody has to take it in their own you know context of how they remember somebody
1: yeah, and we need to just acknowledge that it's complicated, and that's my problem with how it was handled last night. We didn't even acknowledge that there is another side. You don't have to give it a lot of play. You don't have to sit there and say, "Well, here's what you know." Here's what the legacy of Ben Roethlisberger really should be about. But the fact that you read the stories about those allegations, and you go back and you take a closer look at it, and you see that one of the women in those uh, in those cases ended up. In inpatient therapy, like ended up having to check in and be essentially have her life upended over what happened. And so to not acknowledge that feels a little bit weird to me. But again, it's uh it's Victory Tuesday for the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger And I'm not here to bring the kind of negativity that a Steve Cofield provides to this program. At all times, because we should also talk about beginnings, Adam, we should talk about beginnings because this looks like it's going to be the beginning of Logan Logan's career in the National Hockey League, at least as a starting goaltender with the Vegas Golden Knights. Darren Millar joins us in just a moment to talk about VGK against Nashville and the rookie getting his first look.
0: Nova Home Loans brings you trending at three. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova Loan Officer. 877-700-NOVA.
2: Tick, tick, tap, tick, tick, tap. Tick, tick tap. Knights need a goal to tie it. Left point, Theodore shoots, tip,
1: score! Eight seconds to go! Nick Loiswa on the-
0: Back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio.
1: Dan Duva on the Vegas Golden Knights radio network. VGK would tie that up and end up losing it in overtime. There has not been a lot of losing of late for the Vegas Golden Knights. However, they are challenged right now, not only by the COVID situation that everyone's facing, but by continued injuries to some of the players. They had just gotten back on it. It was nice to see them at full strength. It was nice to see the Golden Knights almost to where we expected them in the preseason. Uh, we know the goaltending situation has been Laurent Brossois for the last four games. Uh, Darren Millard joins us from VGK. Darren, um, I'm a little disappointed because I figured at whatever point The Golden Knights needed to get Laurent Brassois a break. I thought maybe you had a shot to get in there as the E-Bug. I thought maybe you'd be the guy, but it looks like maybe they're going to, I don't know, they're going to give Logan Thompson a chance instead? Let me just say this.
3: Uh, Goals are already up this year uh, compared to the last uh, couple of years, and they don't need it to get crazy or goofy. So I don't think that I need to be uh, slotted in there. Now, if something ever happened to an opposition goaltender, uh, then then they would definitely want to volunteer me. <laughs> but but uh, as far as their own goaltending, I think we'll just leave it as a, as a nice story for now. Hey, uh, let's talk Vegas Golden Knights, but promise me, I want to make a deal. At the end of this, I need to hear uh, Hill's <laughs> issues with travel. Because I'm going into the rink right away, and I, I won't have time to hear the rest of the the show so I need to I need, to, I need to, we, at least a little bit of a, a teaser on what happened yesterday well, with the travel.
2: We'll, we'll try to get it in while you're driving you can hear it if not uh I will be at the game we, I'll, I'll stop by I'll see you. it's actually it's it's quite a mess of a story it's pretty long all the things that happen I've never seen so many random things happen on a flight so we will get to that uh in the show I did want to ask if you do go in what is the scouting report how do we beat you
3: oh I would say low blocker high glove uh, low glove and low blocker. And okay. maybe five. <laughs> okay. I'm, really, I'm really good, guys, at taking away the middle. Like, if I get a crest on it, I can make the odd save. Okay. But but the rest of it, uh, and even 18 hole, that little space between the elbow, the right elbow, the stick <laughs> uh, hand elbow, and the body, that's a weakness, too. So yeah. I've, I've, I've got a few of them. And my hips make weird noises uh, when I'm out there. But but I can tell you, nobody has more fun than me. Okay. Uh, there's not a chance anybody has more fun than me, which drives uh, Shane 90 nuts. Maybe... It, uh, it, it bugs them that I still have fun, even though I suck.
2: And maybe the shooters will be confused by so many open areas. They, they just miss completely because they're, they're trying to think of all the different open areas to go to. That could work for it, your advantage.
3: It, it's not a fluke that the couple of times that I've skated with a guy... They've uh, they've gone out and posted impressive runs in the next few games. Okay, it's not a fluke. There's some confidence sure. that comes with my game uh, for them. For them, anyway. Not 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 for me. Well, but so- uh, but Logan Thompson. If he, I don't know whether he's going to play. Uh, Bersois didn't skate today. He generally doesn't skate on a game day, but he didn't skate yesterday, which kind of raises uh, uh, the the spockian uh, eyebrows a little bit and then uh, Dylan Ferguson was on the ice today. So uh, Pete DeBoer wasn't uh, tipping his hand uh, at all today. But if you read the tea leaves, you go, okay, that's, uh, that'd be different for Bournemouth to, not to skate uh, the next couple of days. And so that leaves uh, Logan Thompson as the next man up. And if he does play tonight, gentlemen, you are witnessing one of the great sports stories uh, that, that this city, that the National Hockey League uh, has produced. It was a little over two years ago. Uh, Logan Thompson was uh, out of junior eligibility, uh, hadn't signed a professional contract, and was playing Canadian collegiate hockey, which uh, NCAA hockey would be considered better than Canadian collegiate hockey. And Normally, uh, guys play their major junior, and if they don't turn pro, then they'll go to Canadian college and get the education. It's not uh, Canadian college, uh, with all due respect to Joel Ward, who did uh, go that path isn't necessarily a fast track to, to uh, the NHL. And Logan Thompson chose a college where he was going to get a lot of work. It wasn't a powerhouse. And he went there and he played collegiately. And two years later, uh, he's he's backing up in the National Hockey League and potentially could make his first start. It's unheard of. And for a goaltender, it's I don't know whether it's ever been done before, uh, what, what, what he's done. In in just a little over two years, uh, so it's uh, I, I, when he does get that start, it's going to be a big moment.
2: How do how do you usually see other players react to a situation like that? I mean, you would think that the rest of the team would be you know that much more fired up to play for. Not that they're not every night, but you get a guy like that, and you know you want to help reward him in his debut, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. You want to you want to lock it down as much as you can. You want to play like they did against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, in, in a near perfect performance, uh, Adam defensively uh, and and on the other side of the puck, like they controlled every aspect uh, of that game, and that was a, a big game for both teams, uh, possibly Anaheim's biggest game as a franchise in five or six years because they were battling for first place uh, almost halfway through the season, and and Vegas stomping. Uh, so that that's what you'd like to see. Now, now Logan Thompson does have this going for him. Uh, nobody scored more goals. This year uh, than the the Vegas Golden Knights, they played a few more games, but uh, but they're top five in goals per game, and they scored the most actual goals uh, in the National Hockey League. So he he should know that he's going to get three. Uh, they've got three or more in almost twenty straight games. Uh, so if you if you look at it that way, uh, he's he's got a pretty good start with an offense that uh, that's been going great uh, great guns right now.
1: Darren Millar joining us here on Cofield and Company, Darren. You mentioned the scoring that this team has had, and I was talking in the intro to say, we don't know who will be playing for the Golden Knights on any given night, and you know they've managed to keep it humming here of late. So I'm going to ask this question sort of an odd way, but do with it what you will. Who matters for the Golden Knights to have on the ice night tonight? Because it has felt like, yes, early in the season, they struggled to find their footing, but they've been able to battle through pretty well here over the last couple of months?
3: I don't think you can say anybody matters. Like, Alex Petrangelo is uber-important to this team and, and the confidence in the back end and being able to break the puck out. Uh, the misfits have been have been great at times. And for them not to get anything out of that game against Winnipeg is one of the gross atrocities in sports because they were dynamite. Uh, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, uh, Chandler Stevenson, where they were going, they were money line. Like they, they, they go... So uh, they—they've all had their moments, but I don't think anybody matters whether they're in or not. It's whoever's not in is playing great, and that's—that's that's not a cop-out answer, Adam. It's—it's it's absolutely what we've witnessed this year. Uh, Stevenson uh, has has played out of his uh, mind this year, a point per game player, uh, and, and and he's carried the the, the load. Uh, without his two wingers. But when they came back, uh, they were the best line in the National Hockey League. Max Pacioretty was top three players in the, in the month of December. The Mishits have been great. Uh, uh, we've seen uh, Shea Theodore go on runs. Uh, Zach Whitecloud has five goals. Zach Whitecloud has more goals this year than in a single season, halfway through this single season, than he's had in a single season going back to minor midget hockey. Like he, you don't expect five goals or ten goals out of, out of Zach Whitecloud. He's he's jumping and he's making plays and he's got confidence. So uh, it's 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 not that one person. If, if from the outside, I would say Alex Pietrangelo, but they found a way even without him uh, to play some great hockey.
2: So I think it's really easy to say that all those things that you just described are reasons for extreme optimism for this Golden Knights team. You would expect by the end of the year. Everyone is back in place. Jack Eichel is out there skating. And this team takes all this experience and all this, you know, good energy with all these different players in there and puts it together uh, at the end of the year with their best players on the ice and makes a run. I guess me being a pessimistic person by nature, I'll ask, like, could it be a bad thing in that you've got all these guys contributing all these things and all of a sudden at the end of the year, a bunch of them aren't playing. You're back to the guys that you're used to being on the ice, but they haven't really played together all year. And they're not quite ready to put it all together.
3: Yeah, you could say that, but I w- I'll counter with uh, that: all, like, everybody's played with pretty much everybody sure. this year, and and so uh, if, if if you've got a, all, all the great guys back, they're used to playing together. Uh, the misfits will really be used to playing together. I don't know where Jack Eichel is going to slot in. It'd be hard pressed to take him, you know, pending uh, some kind of fall off in play. Chandler Stevenson out of there, uh, but uh, but maybe it allows you the flexibility to play Jack uh, further down the lineup. But everybody's played with everybody, and that goes to the back end too. I don't remember so many different combinations on a team that's contending as what we've seen from this team. And and you now you found this great pairing in Nick Hag, uh, who's out of the lineup right now, but uh, Alex Bethanizol. So uh, I would uh, I would counter that, David, uh, and that's a, that's logical that you think that. Like all of a sudden everything's perfect and. Uh, that could cause you out of sync. That's a weird problem to have, but if they're never going to be put in that situation, it would be this year because they've had so many moving parts. But uh, their ability to adjust has been so impressive that if everything went back to normal and it was abnormal to be normal, uh, I think they'd be able to adjust that too.
1: Darren, we'll finish with this. It's not just the players who are battling with this virus situation that we're all dealing with. Uh, a very cool moment for Brian McCormick getting the call up to do the radio awesome. broadcast, filling in for Dan Duval. What, uh, we've all had that experience of getting a, a big breakthrough kind of opportunity there. What was that all about?
3: It was uh, it was uh, adjusting on the fly. Uh, Dan Duval was placed the COVID protocol. Uh, he couldn't call uh, the game. And so Brian McCormick came up, and, uh, and uh, from the, the Henderson Silver Knights broadcast, and called a game on New Year's Eve against the Anaheim Ducks, and then flew to Ontario where the Henderson Silver Knights were playing that night and called that game. And the next day was back in in Las Vegas and called the game at the Orleans Arena. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was all three wins, Vegas and Henderson, uh, 3-0 combined. So three games, three wins in two states, in three different rinks, in two different leagues. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I've, I've never heard of it before. I, I did a, a double header last year—a Henderson game and a, and a Vegas game back to back, but it was in the same city, and and it, it didn't. It was cool, but it didn't merit like uh, jaw dropping. This was jaw dropping. I've never heard of it before. I've never uh, heard like wondered what would cause it uh, to happen. But the start times fell into place, the flights fell into place, and I'm so pumped for Brian McCormick because he does a great job. And uh, and he was uh, he was humbled by the attention uh, that he's gotten, but uh, it, it's really cool. Uh, they 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 uh, honored him in, in Ontario in the press box by calling him uh, "Let's Play Two Brian" uh, <laughs> uh, on his placard when he got to the broadcast booth. So uh, nice touch by the Ontario aim.
1: I love it. I love it. Brian McCormick and Ernie Banks, both in the same breath now. very, exactly. very well done.
3: travel apparently was a lot better than Adam Hill's.
1: <laughs> yes. uh, by, by far. Uh, the good thing for you, Darren, is being the star that you are, Adam will give you a personal recount of the travel story since we didn't get to it here on the air tonight.
3: I like running into it in the press box, so I look forward to it tonight.
1: Sounds good. Darren Millard, VGK, take it on Nashville tonight, 7 o'clock at T-Mobile. Thanks for the time, sir.
3: Be good, guys. See you.
1: Thanks, man. On the other side, Nate Hobbs, Raiders, what's going on? Latest from camp from Adam.
0: The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Darren was coming off
4: of the COVID. He has to do some cardiac, and we were hoping to have him back in the walkthrough practice of Wednesday last week, so we're even more anticipating that we have a chance to get him back for this week. Hopefully, if we can get him in Wednesday's practice, he feels a little bit better about how it feels when he moves around, and we'll be really excited about what Thursday and Friday could possibly look like. But we are anticipating him practicing in Wednesday's walkthrough.
0: Now, back to Colefield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio.
1: Raiders head coach Richard Satchia talking about the maybe, possibly, could it be the return of Darren Waller for the biggest game of the year, the biggest football game in the history of Las Vegas. It's a Cofield and company, Adam's family takeover, Adam Candy and Adam Hill, Ari at our Finley Toyota Studios, Raiders chargers for everything this weekend, Sunday night football, a um, little distraction for the Raiders earlier this week not that they haven't dealt with a few of those throughout the season Uh, Nate Hobbs was arrested on a charge of DUI uh, asleep in his car at 4 a.m. and was uh, taken in by the authorities Adam has been out of course dealing with the Raiders Adam any update on the Nate Hobbs situation anything new on the Raiders and who might or might not be available this week
2: no, not really. I mean, I think you know, all eyes are on Darren Waller tomorrow. Uh, it it as was just uh, said there by Rich Pasaccia. It's a walkthrough, so that means uh, just to to tell people what that means because it's it's important that he said walk through and not practice. Uh, that means there's no availabilities whatsoever in terms of being out on the field uh, for media. So. You know, I'm not saying that, the, that that's why they did that, to make sure nobody's out there to watch how Darren Waller looked, but a walkthrough instead of a practice doesn't really matter a whole lot uh, to most people, uh, but it does mean that there's no eyes on the field uh, from outside the organization. So uh, w- n- you won't see any updates of like how Darren Waller looks or what he's looking like working around. Even when we are out there, you only get to watch like 15 minutes anyway, uh, no real game planning stuff. So um, you won't get those updates until after. Uh, practice or after the walkthrough, excuse me. Uh, but that is what that means between walkthrough and a practice. So all eyes on Darren Waller, but nobody will be out there to say how he looked or anything like that. Um, we'll see how he feels as, as Versace said there, they still have some, you know, some hard stuff to look at. They still have, uh, you know, they have to go through those screening. They have the cardio testing and that sort of thing uh, to see how he feels. Because again, he wasn't really able to practice at all. And then he went on the COVID list. We so really couldn't do much of anything around the facility, um, it's been a, a long journey to try to get back. So it's not even clear how close he is to being in game shape. And we know from some of the guys that came off last week, even guys that didn't miss a whole lot of time, it really took a lot out of them. It, it really diminished their cardio. It really diminished um, their ability to kind of stay on the field for much of the game. Uh, and even during plays, uh, we're tired a little bit. Denzel Perriman talked about that, and he talked about how just a few days before coming back to play, he he had the shakes Uh, in his house as he tried to deal with this. So he went through quite a bit. I know Darren Waller posted on Instagram last night uh, that it's been a a kind of a battle uh, with COVID with him. So we don't know exactly where he feels. We don't know where his knee injury is and back injury is, but we really don't know where he is in terms of kind of recovering from COVID as well. So even though there's optimism, and I think people are very excited that he could be back, not clear how many plays he'll be back for. I think as much as he's on the field would be helpful, but I think the biggest thing it does is – it makes the Chargers prepare. We've talked about that with the Mariota package. Um, even if it doesn't work, it makes teams take a day in practice and kind of look at what they can do with Mariota. Uh, if Darren Waller could potentially play, it's going to make the Chargers look at how different the offense is with and without Darren Waller. So um, I think that's a big impact uh, there just in terms of him maybe coming back. Uh, and in terms of Nate Hobbs, nothing. So it's going to be you know, definitely the offseason. We really hear anything about. Uh, about him and his case, I know that there are people using the little amount of information that is out right now on both sides. People saying, "Oh, clearly it's nothing because he wasn't actually driving." Other people saying it's a DUI and it's supposed to be a DUI, and you know he should be, you know, paying the consequences of of an actual—I don't want to say actual—a you know a different moving DUI. A, a Moving yeah. DUI, sure, that would be the more appropriate way to say it. Um, I think. What we can say right now is we don't know either way. Uh, both sides are probably wrong right now because you don't have all the information and you're uh, coming out with this, but um, obviously very different than other DUI situations we've seen in the league. Uh, so we'll we'll continue to monitor uh, that for, you know, I was going to say the next couple of days, next couple of months, and maybe even a year. You know, you, you never know how long these things are going to take to play out in court. Uh, but he does have very, very good representation, and I think uh, there's... There's a strong chance in this case that there's not massive you know, legal ramifications and uh, NFL ramifications for Nate Hobbs. So we are always prisoners of these moments where a
1: lot of things happen within a short period of time where we say, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to deal with this? It's obviously a problem. So let me ask you, is it is it a problem that we are now dealing with Jacobs, Ruggs, now we're dealing... With Hobbs in terms of the DUI, whether it's DWI with Jacobs, where it ends up essentially getting thrown out of court, the Ruggs situation quite a bit more serious, and now with Nate Hobbs, is there something systemic that the Raiders can address with this? Is this just a consequence of having young men making poor decisions?
2: Yeah, I think I think that's where you are now. You would like to think that if you're not going to learn your lessons from Jacobs, that everybody on the team would have learned a lesson from Henry Ruggs. Um, so you would like to think that that wouldn't happen again. But everyone's also n- not naive enough to think that these you know, these things don't happen not only in the NFL but in society, and it's happening all the time. Uh, so, yeah, you would like to think people learn their lesson. It's it's so hard to talk about the Hobbs situation because, like we said, there's so little out. Is it possible he did learn his lesson that he was starting to drive and he said, oh, no, I'm not doing this? That sounds like maybe what might have happened. Now, obviously, you didn't pick the right spot to do that. Uh, You need to do that before you get in the car. But who who knows? Again, I'm not saying that's the facts of the case. I'm just saying, is that possible? Yeah, maybe. So you want to leave that possibility open. Maybe they did learn. I will say the one thing, and you've heard it from some other people nationally, and I think really, really unfortunately heard it from Rich Passaccia yesterday. Do not blame Las Vegas for this. Do not. Do not. This is not a Las Vegas. Okay, it's a Las Vegas issue in that a lot of people in Las Vegas have done it But a lot of people in every city have done it a lot of people in the country have done it a lot of people in The middle of nowhere have done it and been arrested for it. This is a individual issue that a lot of individuals a mistake that a lot of individuals make And I I I think it's abhorrent to pin that on Las Vegas as a city uh, I have I have seen, you know, I've been many, many places. I've seen people make the mistake in many, many places from, you know, small town Buffalo and Green Bay to party towns like Miami and New Orleans. It's not the city. It's not. Do not blame Las Vegas. Do not talk about Las Vegas in that way. Do not, if you're Rich Passaccia, say, you know, we're very aware of where we live. No. Stop it. That is, first of all, it's excusing the bad behaviors. Hey, you know Vegas? No, we don't know Vegas. Actually, sorry, we do. We know Vegas, and we know that that's not a Vegas problem. So stop it. It's a problem that exists on Earth. It is not a problem that is
1: necessarily exacerbated by Las Vegas. Adam, I'm going to tell you the story that I tell many people about DUI and its pervasiveness, and the fact that Vegas doesn't mean anything when it comes to it. When I lived in Flagstaff, Arizona, a town of 50,000 people, were literally the only place to get food after 1 a.m. was Jack in the Box. It was the only place in town that you could go 24 hours. And so, what did the cops do in this town with theoretically no nightlife after a certain hour, right? The, The streets roll up at 1 in the morning. The cops parked right outside the Jack in the Box and they waited for people to come back out and saw if any of them were driving crazy. And I had a colleague who managed to get a DUI going like 10 miles an hour coming out of the Jack in the Box drive through in Flagstaff, Arizona.
2: You know Flagstaff. If it, happen
1: to you, if it can happen to you, Jack in the Box in Flagstaff can happen anywhere. And so we don't know about Nate Hobbs and we're not about to bury him for it quite yet you need to know the details before we talk about any of this but yes you would hope the rug situation would stop anybody from getting anywhere close to it but to say that vegas is anywhere near it if you're andrew Brandt, who was calling this crap out on twitter or anybody else who has done it in the past when it came to the rug situation stop it we don't need to hear it we've heard it all before and it could happen to you too
0: join the conversation on twitter at espn las vegas You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: It's an Adams Family Takeover Company edition here on Cofield and Company. Adam Candy, Adam Hill, Ari at the Finley Toyota Studios. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus on the line with us. Uh, Runs the R&D for PFF hosts of The PFF forecast, if you're betting on NFL football, you need to be listening to the forecast where Eric and George Shihuri are breaking it down for you every single week. Eric, welcome. Uh, We have the game of the week, in theory, here in Vegas this week on Sunday Night Football, Raiders and Chargers. What's your breakdown of the Las Vegas Raiders, the Los Angeles Chargers, TK team?
4: Yeah, I keep calling it Oakland San Diego, but, but uh, obviously, uh, that, that's not uh, what the, the good folks of Las Vegas want to call it. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, obviously, yeah, because uh, you know nothing's easy anymore, we have to hold out and make sure that that three percent chance—you uh, know—that the Jags don't beat the Colts uh, and, and the uh, Steelers don't muck it up, uh, so that we ha- we get like the third period of a hockey game on on, on Sunday night.
2: It would be fantastic to see the scenario where they could yes. both get in with a tie yes. and then dot yes. down the whole game. I want this. Uh, I would love that for NBC. It would be great. Uh, no, it would be terrible television, obviously. Um, before we get into, the, into your thoughts on the Raiders in general, uh, what did we decide George looked like with that cap on? Are we going with, like, uh, the cool professor on his break?
4: Uh, there's nothing cool about what, <laughs> the, how he looked on that show, I, I but I, it was going to be something, you know, either a, you know, like a Apple genius bar employee, or (laughs) like a, uh, like a barista, but like a barista who's like maybe too into the, you know, the, 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 the music on the side. I don't know. It was a little bit of an odd
2: uh, appearance for him. So, so when we look at this game, are the, I want to ask, are the Raiders good? But are the Chargers good? Like, I feel like the Chargers are a good team that's underachieving in, in the results, and the Raiders are kind of a bad team that's overachieving in final results. Is that fair? I think that is. I, I don't
4: quite think that you can attribute. Like, so the Chargers, I think, are a better team than, than the Raiders, and that's why they're favored by a couple points, uh, even though the game's being played in Las Vegas. But, um, you know, but they, they the Chargers do this kind of every year, no matter who the coach is, right? They, like, they play the Chiefs down to the wire, and then they lose to Houston, and then you're like, what do I make of this team? Um, you know, I-, I thought that this was going to be a good matchup. The Raiders actually have a fairly decent secondary with guys like Casey Hayward, and then, you know, Hobbs goes out with the DUI. And, you know, like, the, the Chargers kind of leave these things to chance on purpose, it feels like. The- they're top five in the NFL in terms of contested target rate, meaning, like, you know, Justin Herbert's just throwing the guys who are covered more. Um, and that obviously yields noise that you're not getting for some of these other sort of more, um, you know, established offenses. So yeah, whereas with the Raiders, like they have a, you know, they have a negative point differential, I believe, or, or you know, one of the wor- weaker point differentials among these, these great teams here. Um, and, and, you know, Derek Carr is doing a good job, everything, you know, all, everything told. He's just not given a lot. And, and you know, if that's why you get some of these weird games. Uh, where the offense sputters, but they still somehow come down with a win. So yeah, I think like going into this game, it'll be a big upset for the Raiders to come out with a victory. But uh, it hasn't been unprecedented in this season where the Raiders have won games they shouldn't have and the Chargers have lost games they shouldn't have.
1: So we've talked about the lack of weapons for Derek Carr plenty uh, since Henry Ruggs left in after Week Eight. Uh, Derek Carr was the third-rated PFF passer before the absence of Ruggs, and now it's obviously coincided with Waller being out well as well, but he's down to 17th uh, over that same stretch. So I, th- my question for you kind of it goes along a little bit with teams like the Vikings and the Raiders who are living in this middle purgatory here. How good do you have to be for a team to say, let's go for it with what we have this year next year etc because you're kind of living in this middle if you're the raiders where you're hoping you catch the variants and you have a giants run from the wild card from a few years ago but if you're the raiders and you go into this off season having made the playoffs in winning this last game should it change anything in terms of how you approach looking at this franchise going forward
4: yeah, to answer your question, no. I don't think making the playoffs or not this season really should change whether or not they go back with Derek Carr. And I, I think it's really hard because, you know, I, I sort of view it the way that I view betting. I think if you are trying to uh, build a team around a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr or Ryan Tannehill or, you know, a Jared Goff, you know, you, you in some sense, like, you're trying to like take a, a very like a $10 parlay and parlay together a bunch of underdogs around the rest of the roster. Mm-hmm. And if it hits, that's awesome, right? If it does hit, you know, and then you talk about the Giants, like Eli Manning, and this was a different CBA, but I think it's still, a you know, hold, you know, Manningham, Knicks, uh, Cruz, by the way, Cruz, is an undrafted guy, all these guys come together at once and you can win with a, Good, but not elite veteran quarterback on a realistic you know contract. You can do that. The problem is, is like obviously that like hardly ever hits, right? And you know that that parlay around you, you bet maybe one big favorite, and that's Carr. Carr being a good quarterback is a pretty big favorite every year, right? That's the that's the favorite bet you make, and then you make this like eight leg parlay around the rest of the roster that almost never hits. Whereas when you go with a rookie quarterback. The, the, the long shot bet or the minor, you know, the bet that's plus, you know, 100 or more is that the quarterback position. And then you can go around the roster and buy favorites, right? When Kansas City did that with, with Patrick Mahomes, it was, oh, we're going to go out and pay Sammy Watkins $16 million a year. It's like, well, you're going to at least get, you know, third wide receiver production out of Watkins. That's a pretty big favorite. You know, you can get great right tackle play out of Mitchell Schwartz and you have the money to go around and buy a bunch of favorites because you're, you're one long shot bet. You know, is a much, you know, is is a lot less spendy, I guess, or a lot more likely to hit. And I think that that's really like the hard calculus with the new CBA. It's like, look at the Bengals right now. Like, they hit on Burrow, Chase, and Higgins, and now, you know, they have the money to spend to go around the rest of the roster and plug holes in a very like New York Yankees way, if you will. And that's, I think, what teams that have a Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins, they don't have that luxury year in and year out
2: we mentioned the uh, the podcast that you that you do uh, the the PFF forecast with George uh, me and Adam both uh, regular listeners to that but i was actually speaking with george uh, off the air about something a couple weeks ago and he he brought up a really good point that i hadn't thought about that if you do bring in a, a coach you know that's kind of unknown that maybe you you need to take a shot on a coach this off season, that maybe part of the reason you keep car around is because you know what you have. He's a known commodity, and then you can determine if the coach is any good by how he performs with Carr. Like, would that weigh into your decision all? Just to have that one at least known, so you don't have two variables going into next offseason or next season. Yeah, I, I guess
4: that goes What's the payoff though? Like, are you hiring this next coach to go back to respectability, or are you hiring this next coach to try to win the Super Bowl? I guess it, it is an interesting question for the Raiders because. For the you know for the Raiders to become great, it's a humongous climb with Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes in this division. So maybe you try to get to respectability first. I sort of think of Tampa Bay this way, right, where they, they hired Dungy to get them sort of off the ground and, and realize where the ceiling was, and then they hired Gruden to win the Super Bowl. Like so, I guess if that's the goal, I I don't mind George's thought process there. If the goal is to if the goal is to emerge and really win, you know, uh, a lot of ball games. Like I don't necessarily know if that gets you there all that quickly.
1: Eric, obviously, you follow the AFC West in general, both uh, for the job and as a Chiefs fan. Uh, follow me on this one and tell me what you think. Because the Chiefs obviously have gotten a lot of respect back for the performance over the last few weeks. The game against Cincinnati. I'm less concerned about the offense than I am about the defense since the defense got a lot of credit for how the Chiefs have been able to steady the ship. Uh, should I be concerned about that? Or, or do they just catch the hottest team in the NFL offensively right now in the Cincinnati Bengals?
4: Uh, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both. I think uh, because, you know, Ward was all over Chase on a few of those plays, uh, and Chase just made great plays. It wasn't like guys are running wide open. Um, but I I am concerned that they're still playing Daniel Sorensen. He was fully responsible for one of the touchdowns by just not taking an angle at all on a play. So, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think the Chiefs defense was as amazing as the win streak sort of, you know, implied. And then I don't think they're going to catch a team that played as white hot uh, as the Bengals did on Sunday uh, anymore. So, you know, it's exactly, I think, where 2019 stood for me where, you know, it's all dependent upon whether the quarterback can get hot at the right times. The defense is good enough to win with. Um, but there's there you're always going to be a little bit afraid of them uh, in a playoff game because, you know, they're they're not a win because of defense. They're a win with defense. And, you know, win, win with defenses. Some have games. Sometimes have games where they're the liability.
1: Eric, tell the folks where they can find all your good work at PFF.
4: Yeah, I'm at PFF underscore Eric on Twitter. And then, yeah, as you guys said, and we appreciate that, uh, the listen to the PFF forecast. We're on YouTube, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, all those. And we, we come out on Monday morning and as well as uh, Wednesday night.
1: Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Uh, tell George we have to have him on at some point soon to defend himself for his fashion choices.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll come on and defend himself. But the first time in the history of the podcast, his looks are the ones on trial.
1: that is an excellent point thanks for the time eric
0: take care guys
1: football frenzy coming up in a minute
0: finley toyota they'll do anything to sell you a car no toyota problem is too tough too large or too small keep your toyota running like a toyota